0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events. Would you call yourself an open book? Yes? Well, some others who would say the same are taking it to the next level. An actual human library. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Reset. You may have read a memoir or autobiography at some point in your life, but what would it feel like to hear someone's life story straight from their mouth? Well, that's the aim of the human library. People volunteer to act as metaphorical books that people can check out for conversation. And tomorrow, folks can go to Morton College in Cicero to hear from some of these volunteers. In a little bit, we will hear from one of them. But first, to break down how this works, we talked to Prairie Marcuson, the organizer of the Human Library event and communications instructor at Morton College. And Prairie went behind the metaphor and explained just how this unique experience would work.
1: First, I just want to say that it's an organization that's been around for about 20 years, started in Denmark, and now it's sort of an international thing. The way that it works is um, the attendees, who are called readers, they come to the event and they are... Um, given a list of human books that they can check out. And the book titles are very straight to the point, very basic. They really kind of speak to what that person is going to share with the reader. Um, and then they go and they have a 25 to 30 minute conversation with that book book, sort of learning about their experiences. And really the reader is meant to guide the conversation through their questions. Um, it's meant to be a space where readers can ask questions they might not normally feel comfortable asking mm-hmm. in other sort of other spaces. Yeah. Um, but here in this in the Human Library, that's it's welcome. The point. welcome. Yes, exactly. It's welcome.
0: Yes. And this is the first time that Morton College is having an event like this. But across the yes. globe, as you mentioned, there have been these so-called Human Libraries. So I wanted to play just a little bit of what the founder of the first Human Library described it as.
1: A place where you could walk in, borrow a human being,
2: and talk to them about a very challenging topic. Ideally, we wanted people to talk about issues that they normally would not talk about or potentially don't like to talk about, but
1: that we need to talk about.
0: So that idea of what he said, borrowing a human being to talk about their experience, right? It may seem a little startling or uncomfortable. Yes. How do you handle that?
1: As the organizer, how do I handle that? Yeah. So one of the things we... I and other we are called the librarians. Um, we went through certain training to facilitate this, and one of the things that the training really stresses is the comfort of the books and the comfort of the readers, of course. Um, but we understand that they are the books are opening themselves up in this very vulnerable way, and so we have to make sure that they feel safe and they feel comfortable, and it. For us, it's really about circulating amongst the conversations and making sure everybody is okay, mm. because it is a, a big ask for our for our books. Yeah, yeah, for sure,
0: they're being extremely vulnerable. Yes, right, exactly. Now, before organizing this
1: event, Prairie, you've been a reader yes. at other
0: human libraries, and what that means, in other words, for folks listening, is that you have been on the other side of the conversation. That's right. Asking people questions about their experiences with being judged or, or stereotyped. What did you learn? Go back to that moment.
1: Right, so I've gone to two different events, um, one in Rockford and one in Glen Ellen. In the in the first one, I spoke to um, a man who had been in a, lived in a refugee camp for fourteen years. Um, he he was from Rwanda, but the camp was in another African country, which I can't remember the, the name of at the moment. But that was so eye opening because we all have judgments of people. It's it's a natural, normal thing to have a judgment, but when we let those judgments sort of lead our action or our behavior, that's the problem. Um, But in this case, I was learning about things that I maybe had some judgments about, um, but through his experience, I sort of learned that I had seen things maybe only in a one way or one-sidedly. And then the second event, I got to talk to people who had lived in Section 8 housing. I talked to somebody else who had been abused as a child. I talked to somebody who was in an interracial marriage, and in all these cases— my mind was sort of opened up to just their personal story and helped me to, as the organization says, to unjudge someone.
0: So you were surprised by some of the things that you I was learned surprised. in these conversations? Yes.
1: yes, and one of the things, and I'll say about the the refugee, the man who had lived in the refugee camp, he said he missed it. And I think that was surprising to me because I thought, in my mind, in my judgment, I was thinking, well, wouldn't you want to get out of a refugee camp and, and go, you know, be in your own home or be wherever, but no, he had grown up in that experience and that was his home, that, that was his neighborhood, that was his community. And so for me to understand that and how difficult that was for him to Mm -hmm. leave that community, um, that really opened my eyes to his story.
0: Yeah. And you, you also say, I mean, this isn't just talk, right? These conversations can actually lead to action. Yes. Is that the point
1: here? Yes. Tell
0: me what that has looked like. Is there a concrete example or two that you can share?
1: Absolutely. So I last semester, I took two of my students to the Glen Ellen Public Library where they were having an event. And um, one of my students was um, he had told me before that he knew that a a boy that he was working with in a community center um, was being abused at home and he didn't know what to do to help this boy. At the at the human library organization, I'm sorry. At the human library event that we went to, there was a book that had been abused as a child, and so he chose to go speak to that specific book. And through that conversation, he kind of got some um, strategies to help this boy. And he did let the um, grandparents of the boy know that um, that he was being abused, and he was pulled from that abusive environment.
0: Yeah. Now, I got to ask you this because I know this firsthand. There, there's been a movement to really just avoid asking people to educate others mm. about their oppression. Yes. Right? Um, and, and have that person kind of do that emotional labor yes. at random for you. How does this event fit in with that? And what would you say makes this human library experience? different.
1: Mm. I think one of the things that makes it different is that the books are offering their stories and they themselves want to tell their stories. Um, I understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, just being bombarded with questions and that that can be um, Mm -hmm. taxing, right? That can be uh, a labor unto itself. But our books are stepping into this, um, knowing that we support them as they go through it emotionally um, and knowing that they want to tell their story. Right. It's 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 their choice to tell these stories. And
0: which you know, I think is key.
1: Yes. Yes. It's, and, it, and I think they know that there is power in these kinds of face to face, eyeball to eyeball kind of conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do you train someone to, to be a book what does that look like?
1: Thankfully, the Human Library Organization has set up all this training uh, for me. So as the organizer, I don't have to do specific training. But they have um, – so I have been trained to be a book, not for our event, but for another book and or another event. And it's a wonderful training. It's many different videos about the history of the organization, what it's like to be a book, what it's like to be a reader. And then after we watch all those videos, we do get the opportunity to practice in a live session with other books.
0: And I think very relatable to what we just talked about. One of the things that they're learning as part of this being a book experience is like, just speak for yourself. Yes. Right. Uh, You know, you're not maybe part of a monolith. Right. You're not yes. going to speak for a whole group.
1: That's exactly right. And I think because that adds this added pressure too. like I'm supposed to speak for all for me, for example, I'm going to speak about being homeschooled. I am not speaking for all homeschooled right. kids. I can only speak for myself. Your
0: way might have been different from 100%. the next person. Yes. And um, and your job in in talking about your experiences is not to persuade or
1: exactly. convince someone
0: else that this is the way. That's right. Should be or are. That's right.
1: That's that's something else the organization really stresses is no. As books, your job is not to convert, persuade, convince. No, that's heavy lifting. Right, that's heavy labor. Your job is merely to share your story, and to field those questions, and hopefully to open that person's mind a little bit.
0: What are the conversations that you have with the with the readers? Right, the ones asking the questions. Yeah. Is, there's a responsibility on that part, too. That's
1: right. So when the readers come in, um, we will – the I and the other librarians will talk to the, the readers about how the experience will go. And um, we also have a list of rules for readers that the organization has provided us that will be at every table, but we'll also give to each of the readers and make sure they understand the tone of it. You know, it's not meant to be combative. It's not meant to be um, – Yes, it can be intense, but not in a negative way. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be powerful, right? So, yes, it is our job. It is our responsibility to touch base with each reader as they come in.
0: And, you know, keep your questions respectful, I imagine, as part of the conversation, too. Yeah. So if people want to come to the library, tell us the details. Like what, what's the yes. experience like, when, and where is it?
1: Okay, so the event is at Morton College, which is 3801 South Central Avenue in Cicero. And it's from 2 to 7 p.m. tomorrow, October 19th. Um, so you will the event will take place in the student union. You can just come to the main entrance and you'll be directed to the student union, but there will also be signage that will point you in the right direction. You'll just come in and you'll come to the check-in desk and that's where the list of books will be available. And I will be there and other librarians will be there to assist. How many folks do you have signed up? We have 25 books. Oh, wow. Signed up. Yeah. It's a very lot. exciting. Yeah. More than I expected. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, I mean, give us, you know, a, a, another pitch here. I mean, why should the person who's maybe still not convinced as they listen to us, why should they participate in something like this?
1: I think that everyone can benefit from learning how to unjudge just a little bit. And I think in our world right now in particular, we are so us versus them, you versus me. There's such a binary way of um in our politics and so on. And so this is an opportunity. This is this is a movement, I think, mm-hmm. to learn about the in-betweens, all the subtleties of human life, the um the gray areas. And I think If you are brave, you will come to the event, you will challenge yourself, um, and you will learn how to see that it doesn't serve us to be us versus them, one side versus another. Yeah.
0: We'll leave it there. That was Prairie Markison, who's a faculty member at Morton College in Cicero. She's organizing a so-called human library where visitors can borrow someone for 30 minutes and ask them questions about their experiences with stigma and stereotypes. Thank you so much, Prairie. Thank you. Okay, like we've been hearing, the quote-unquote human library is a chance for you to borrow a person instead of a book and listen to their life story. And the library also acts as a space to ask the questions that we normally avoid in polite conversation. We spoke with Alejandra Holianis, who has volunteered to be an open book about his experiences as an immigrant. And he talked about just what made him want to participate as a so-called human book.
2: Well, when you first hear about opportunities like this, For a lot of people, it's something that's not common. But for me, it's very reminiscent of my high school days. Um, I've always been an open person in terms of talking to people about my experiences, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my high school days, there were there, there was a lot of spaces in which we could talk to each other and learn from each other more than the average school. Because people would deviate from these conversations, whereas our school encouraged it because it was a multicultural school.
0: Ah, so that came from the administrators, at the
2: school. They were a good example, yes.
0: Ah, and so it made it more comfortable for you as a, a
2: teen? To yeah, pretty much. And it's not just that it made it more comfortable, but it, it like made everybody want to do it.
0: The human library is meant to do something like that. And it's meant to cut through people's prejudices. But at the same time, it does that by letting people ask the questions that they normally might be afraid to ask, right? That puts you in an interesting position. So how are you preparing yourself for questions that may be coming from an ignorant place?
2: For me, um, as I just mentioned, I've always been an open person. So I've never really shied away from these questions. And I'm an optimist by heart, by nature. So I've always looked at the positive of things. Mm -hmm. And I've always seen these questions. Yes, it could be from an ignorant point of view, but I see it as a place of growth because if you're asking a question, that means you want to learn. that means you want to grow. So even if it, throws me in for a loop. Even if I'm shocked in the moment, mm-hmm. I know that at least somewhere in there, there isn't some malice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Because what I'm thinking is not everybody went to a high school like yours. Right. So sometimes some questions can come from that place that you have to, like you said, you're taken aback or you're shocked, but you'll just kind of dive right in. Yeah. Yeah. So just a couple of days ago, I'm hearing that you had someone tell you, you don't carry yourself like an immigrant. Yeah. walk me through what came to your mind in that moment.
2: I was uh, surprised because I was uh, in more recent days. I've always, you know, just been analyzing my own behavior, just trying to be better for this event. And then just just hearing that, I was, I was, I didn't know how to reply. Honestly, I was just like, oh, I, I guess I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can relate because I've had a similar commentary. I'm also an immigrant, and I've I've had, I think. On the show, actually. I forget what the segment was about, but I was having a conversation with someone and I mentioned the fact that I was Jamaican and she said, oh, you don't look Jamaican. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> the, the same way you just reacted by, you know, putting your hand on your forehead is exactly what I wanted to do in the moment. And then I thought, well, what does a Jamaican act like or what am I supposed to exactly. look like? Um, so how did you respond when you had that that question?
2: I just kind of laughed it off because I know, I mean, again, I'm an optimist by nature. So, you know, I I know it's not from a place of malice, or at least I hope that it wasn't. And uh, the person that said it, it wasn't like a stranger or anything like that. It was somebody that I've previously talked to. It's one of my peers in school. So, you know, I wasn't really looking at it from the angle of, oh, this person's trying to hurt me. But rather, this is an interesting perspective. What what can I learn from this too?
0: Yeah. What's the... What do you think it's like, Alejandro, to confront stereotypes in a moment like that where you said it was one of your peers sort of asking a question versus answering questions in a space, a curated space like this human library concept?
2: So whenever we're confronting stereotypes, we just have to be ourselves. At least I believe we just have to be ourselves. I mean, like you said, I don't care. Or like that person said, I don't carry myself like an immigrant, right? So I'm confronting that stereotype myself just by being me. You know, people have this preconceived notion of what an immigrant should be like, whether we should have an accent or no accent or whatever it might be. And just by being myself, I can fight those. But whenever it comes for a question, it's something that's like hidden, something that people might always been wondering about, but they just can't see. Because, you know, the way you carry yourself, the way you dress, the way you speak, things like that are things that can be seen, heard out in the open. Whereas, you know, your internal points of views, the, the things that you might think of, The the more personal things are things that other people might be wondering. And those are the ones that can also get to the root of the problem as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm also thinking about the fact that it it can be exhausting for marginalized people to sort of have to or feel like they have to teach privileged people about their marginalization. Right. I, I know even if you think back to just a few years ago in 2020 with all of the uprising and uh, the Black Lives Matter movements and, and uh, killings that were happening day after day um, of black people at the hands of police officers. And you had lots of folks, you know, saying that they stand with with people of color. They stand with with um, African-Americans and in uh, this you know, fight for justice. And there was this I can speak for myself in saying that there was this need as, as folks were asking me questions left, right and center to say, go read a book. There are books that you can read to, to get you caught up. Don't, don't ask me. So this human library, though, sort of challenges that, right? You're voluntarily opening up yourself and you're saying, hey, come ask me. So just talk more about how you feel about that.
2: Right. Well, you just said it. Come read a book. We are the books. We are going to—this is a human library. We are volunteering to be books.
0: But I mean a paperback. And, and I, know, I know, of
2: course, of course. <laughs> right. right. But the whole point of the event is so that, like, a lot of people— And it is a taxing work to do uh, where if you're asked constantly, for example, that example that you used, if it happens like throughout every day for like a month straight, you're going to be tired of regardless of what task that is. But if, you know, you're volunteering for something, it gives it that extra human aspect that other people might not see because you can give something a statistic, you can give something – like you, you could just read it on a page, but mm-hmm. it won't really like stick with you until you see it in your reality. And that's what this event is trying to bring. It's trying to show people the reality of the situation, that this isn't just something that, you know, occurs to other people. But look at the people around you. Look at this person that's right in front of you, this book that's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. They are faced with these things.
0: Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. I, I love hearing uh, the motivation that's, that's obviously coming through you uh, today as you talk about it. I'm also thinking about just maybe the time frame too, right? The fact that they have these like 30 minutes. I think it's nice that there's like a window and then and then we're done. Does that yeah. make sense?
2: Uh, I agree too, because like you said, it is taxing. And so like, it, it's a very good opportunity for you to be like, hey, I said my story, but we got to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're done here. Uh, you know, and as we've talked about, people are supposed to avoid asking certain questions in, in polite conversation um, you're no stranger to the ignorant questioner. To do you think that a question feels different, maybe depending on the context you're hearing it in? Yes,
2: actually, um, th- the first time I've been asked that, so I had to think about it for a second. Sure, but yeah, it is because if, for example, my best friend asked me that, you know, or told me that statement, like you don't carry yourself like an immigrant, maybe I would have reacted differently than just my peer. Right. But again, because I am an optimist, I I usually like try to use those opportunities, regardless of of who it is, my mother, my best friend, my peer from school, my teachers. I use it to help myself and others grow because I also get something out of this. You know, I'm participating in this event because it's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to get my story out there and hopefully help somebody else, not by telling them what to do, but just telling them about me.
0: What I'm hearing too from you is that you—it's like you inherently you see the good in people. Where does that come from?
2: Uh, because I want people to see the good in me too. You know, you always hear treat others how you want to be treated, and you know, I, I've always wanted that.
0: I want to dig more into that experience and and hear more about your journey. What can you share about your childhood? First of all, where are you from?
2: So I'm from Colombia, Colombia. Uh huh. But usually when people ask me that question, I say I'm from Little Village in Chicago um but you know it's it's interesting because you know when you're born in a different country you know and you come to for example the US mm-hmm. uh people try to put you in their group or not their group uh the the earliest example of this literally some of my first days here in second grade uh, i remember some kids asking me hey are you christian or are you catholic there was no other option just are you, you with you had to them? be
0: one or the other exactly
2: yeah. and it was like are you with this this group of kids on this side of the of the school or are you with this other group? Pick I, a side. I, exactly. And I was, it, it was interesting just being exposed to that from a young age. Mm. And again, I didn't, you know, as a young kid, you don't understand. But looking back on it, I also don't see any malice, of course, because we were kids. But also because it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to try to find some common ground or things that aren't as common.
0: Mm. And, and once people knew that you were born in Colombia, what kind of questions as a kid were they asking
2: you? So the, the most common one always had to do with Pablo Escobar. Uh, you just can't escape really? it. When you're, when you're from Colombia, you can't escape it. Uh, what do they ask you? You're a kid. I, honestly, they were just asking me, like how, how, like, how is Pablo Escobar doing? Or, oh, my God, does your uncle look like Pablo Escobar? Or You know, questions like that, that, um, you know, saying them out loud to myself just sound funny. But, you know, it really does come from a place where they don't know anything else about the country. And, again, I've always been one to, like, set an example just by being me. So, over time, as these people got to know me, they they saw that I was not Pablo Escobar. (laughs) One, What a wild, uh, you know, surprise that I wasn't him. But also that I was just like them. Um, And most of these kids from this school were from uh, Mexican families. Whether they were born here or born in Mexico, they had some Mexican heritage in them. Mm -hmm. So... Being like one of two non-Mexican Hispanics of this school, Mm -hmm. um, it was always interesting just seeing how similar everyone was. Because, again, I was learning about Mexican culture. They were learning about Colombian culture. And they saw that, hey, we're not so different after all.
0: Yeah. So you were getting this from other Hispanic children. Yes. That just weren't from the same country as you.
2: Right. Isn't that weird?
0: Yeah, it is. It is weird, but... Again, it's something that I can relate to. I mean, just growing up, um, I spent the, the next part of my life growing up in Toronto, Canada. When we left Jamaica, that's where we went to. And um, one of the things there is as a kid, you know, you were either if you were from the, the Caribbean, you were from Jamaica, for sure. That's what people thought. In my case, it was true. Uh, but there were I had friends that were from Trinidad and from Barbados and from Grenada, you know, other islands that used to really take offense to that and you know it was like you were either jamaican or you were african or and by african people didn't realize that it was a continent and that there were several countries and so they didn't realize that there were several you know different groups so it was you know this box or that box just to your example of catholic or christian and uh yeah it was it was frustrating for me um and i like i said they got it right in my case with you know choosing the correct island but i still it still bugged me
2: and that's totally understandable um, because, I mean, it, it it was a constant. I'm assuming it wasn't just once. All right? the time. Right. It's like people are coming at you, asking you over the same questions. And you're just like, okay, here comes a Pablo Escobar question. I can feel it. All right. But, you know, again, I, I've always tried to handle it by steering away from that and mm-hmm. showing them the true nature as in like, hey, this is not all we are. Here's what we are instead. Well, t- tell me, I mean, because you're you're proud and it shows
0: of your Colombian heritage. What do you want people to know about your country, your home country?
2: That it's not Mexico. <laughs> um, that we don't eat spicy food uh, for the most part. That, you know, our food uh, is very similar to Venezuelan food. That they're like our cousins right next to us. That, you know, we have such a varied country where in one Area, you can have big mountains or the other. It's a big city like Chicago. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like you said, I am proud of where I am. But I, what I've also been proud of is taking in other cultures and letting them also guide me. You know, um, I'm not claiming uh, to be Mexican or American, but rather that the American culture, that the Mexican culture, the Puerto Rican culture have all been cultures that I grew up around mm-hmm. and that have influenced me to a certain degree. Uh, and my when I speak Spanish, it really shows uh, with the language that I use. Mm-hmm. But there's these are all cultures that have influenced me and make me who I am. And so as an immigrant, you don't get to say that in terms of like, no, you're Colombian. Like, this is your culture. What do you mean other cultures influence you? Uh, at least in my experience, I've seen that people have always been shocked uh, that I am Colombian. Because as I just mentioned, when I speak Spanish, I speak it in a more similar way to somebody who from Mexico. Right. So a lot of people are surprised. Even just like last month I was speaking with someone. I'm like, yeah. So, you know, I grew up in Colombia and they're like, what do you mean? I thought you were from Mexico. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm from Colombia. Get out of here. Uh, like uh, They told me, get out of here. Like, I don't believe you because they were from Venezuela. Um, so they were just surprised because, you know, like even
0: they couldn't pick up on it. Exactly. Yeah. You are 19 now, Alejandro. And, and, you have a lot of life ahead of you to continue navigating questions like these and and uh, sort of, you know, piecing your identity together. What are you hoping to learn from your experience of being a
2: human book? So my long-term goal is to be a pediatrician. And when you want to be in medicine, and when you want to be in medicine with children, you have to navigate very difficult conversations Mm -hmm. whether it's about health or about mental health or about whatever it might be um it's very difficult to navigate um and i've always been blessed in the sense that like my doctors have always been great examples and so i see how they carry themselves how they navigate themselves how they bring that positivity out into the world and i want to use that as an example i want to lead by example and by navigating this space in the human library uh it helps me get a accustomed to being judged but being that example that helps that judgment evolve into understanding
0: Mm. why do you want to be a pediatrician
2: ever since uh so my mother is also an immigrant so she's worked with children uh pretty much the whole time we've been here okay um and so i always grew up around them i've always been in mentoring figures whether as a mentee or mentor so you know it's it's always something that i've wanted to do
0: yeah and and i love how you talk about the different layers you know that you've you've dealt with right feeling like the american to your colombian family and then the colombian to you know your mexican american neighborhood <laughs> i mean how how do you continue to hold these pieces together just being in the center of all of that
2: the truth is i mean you you just are you know, you, you are a human being. And you're so and unapologetic
0: these, about who you are. Thank you. Which I love. Thank you yeah. so
2: much. Um, I've always tried to deal with things with a smile. Uh, I find humor to be amazing. I, like, you know, growing up watching stand-up comedy, just in my heart, ingrained in my heart. Stand-up comedy? But I love stand-up comedy. Oh, you should do that too, on the <laughs> side. <laughs> but just like being a human being is more than the labels that we give ourselves. So ever since I was young, I learned I'm not 100% this, I'm not 100% that, or at least I was taught that until I realized, hey, I could be all of this, Mm -hmm. you know, again, and I'm not claiming to be born in America or born in Mexico, but rather that these cultures have impacted me in such a way that they shaped who I am and they are a part of me, part of my heart, my soul. And, you know, they influence who I am.
0: And there's no one else like you. Isn't that
2: great? It's amazing.
0: Uh, people sometimes assume too that um, because you're an immigrant, you're really up on the latest news about immigrants or about policy. You laugh, but you know yes, it's true. It is so true. You know it's true. Um, so I, I'm I'm not sure have, if this has been on your mind, but as we've seen the arrival of more migrants to the Chicago area over the last year plus, right? Um, there's been some heightened stigma around immigrants. Has any of that factored into your experience and yes. the conversations you're having? Yes,
2: actually. Um, so I, I, just using myself as an example again, I used to live in the little village area. And while I don't live there anymore, it's still a place where some of my friends reside in, uh, where I still visit from time to time. And so I've seen how how it has evolved over time. Yeah. More recently, you know, uh, there's been a lot of Venezuelan immigrants staying in that area and you see the difference in culture because before where you used to see maybe one or two bikes in someone's backyard now you see bikes everywhere yeah because um you know people are starting to bike more from venezuela It's part of their culture and so i've seen some people be worried like for example my friends be worried because they've seen a lot more cops be around the area stuff like that but i think of it more so in terms of like hey this is literally a goldmine for you because not only can you make more friends, yeah. I love talking to people, you can make more friends, but you can really learn from someone who's different. From You're
0: you. such an optimist, Alejandro. So great talking to you. Alejandro Holianis has volunteered to be an open book about his life experience in the Human Library in Cicero tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Reset Conversation was produced by Max Lubers and edited by Meha Ahmed and Ethan Schwab. Thanks so much for listening. We drop new episodes of the pod every day from Monday to Saturday. You can also check out our full catalog of Reset interviews at WBEZ.org slash Reset. That's it for this pod. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk again soon.